Hello and welcome to episode 56 of Beekeeping at Five Apple Farm. This is Lee. I am glad you've joined me today. This is kind of an unusual episode. Several listeners have let me know they are going to sit for the journeyman level of the Certified Master Beekeeper Program for North Carolina. The state conference is coming up the first weekend in March. And so these folks are studying hard. I had mentioned that my club put together a study guide informally, just people copying and pasting from various references into a study guide. And I'm going to read you some from that. For those of you who have been studying and are going to sit for the journeyman segment of the test, if you would like a copy of this study guide, I actually have two, I would be happy to email it to you. These are not test questions or anything like that. It is just material from references on the subjects listed on the website of what's on the test. So in other words, they'll have things listed like the parts of the bee. And this is just from various standard references, the parts of the bee. So it was very helpful to me. It helped narrow it down because if you've looked at the reading list for the test, it's about six enormous giant huge reference manuals. And this is just like the Cliff Notes edition. It it won't help you, I don't think, if you haven't been studying already and don't have the experience. But if you do, it can be a good way to guide your last minute studying. So feel free to email me, blueridge714 at gmail.com. I am glad to share what I have. I can't vouch for any of it because like I said, it was just a group effort of cutting and pasting it. But I found it very helpful. On the test, all categories of the Master Beekeeper program have the same categories. Which level you're sitting for affects how deep the knowledge is supposed to go in that category. So for example, these are the categories they list on the website. Bee biology and anatomy, bee behavior, pests, diseases, Africanized versus European honeybees, keeper activities, keeper equipment, beekeeping history, pesticides, plants, pollination, products of the hive, North Carolina State Beekeepers Association, bee biology and anatomy. I think I already said that one. (laughs) Okay, so those are just some of the subjects on the written test. Um, For the journeyman, let's see, for the journeyman test, you need two years minimum beekeeping experience, and one of those years has to be after passing the certified program. You have to pass the written and practical journeyman beekeeper tests, and you have to complete five public service credits. That can happen after you do the test. You can get more if you're short on the credits. For those of you who are going to the conference, if they offer one of the testing review sessions, I went to one of those, scribbled furiously notes because it was excellent material, and then studied like crazy that night at the hotel, (laughs) and I believe sat for the test the next day. I know that some things I missed on the test, I was really weak on some of the pollination things. There were a lot of questions on my test. And it's different every time, every year, the questions are different. But on my test, there were all these questions on crop pollination that were just not crops that I am familiar with. It was things like tomatoes and cucumbers and melons, kind of warm season crops. And up in the mountains, we don't really have a lot of those. (laughs) So I definitely missed some of those. Just some general test taking things. I find it handy to go through 
read the question twice before I even look at the answers. Read the question twice to make sure I get it. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I can read the question backwards. You know, if, if it says which items are blah, blah, and sometimes it's actually which items are not blah, blah. So read the question and then go through the answers. I really believe in that marking your gut. The first one that jumps out to you is probably the answer. Like just put your pencil down, you know, put a pencil mark beside that one because that's your first gut response. And then think through the question and the answer because, you know, sometimes they put answers that they're kind of trick. They're to draw you to them. Overall, I did not find the questions terribly tricky. Pretty much either knew it or you didn't. And it was a great challenge to my knowledge. It was fun. I mean, a lot of the stuff has already fallen out of my head. <laughs> like I was looking over what I'm going to read you today and I'm like, oh my gosh, I've already forgotten that. Because it's, of course, textbook knowledge that you don't exactly use out in the bee yard. That said, it is pretty amazing how often you'll see something out in the bee yard and that comes back to you and you go, oh right, that was on the test. So let me just say, I wish you all the very best in the test. And I'm just going to pick a random section and read to you from this guide that I'm happy to share with you. So one of the categories is B behavior. This is the little section on B behavior. I do not know what the sources of these are because like I said, it was just a quick cut and paste. Everybody was assigned, a, each person was assigned a subject. They went and researched that subject and we all put it together in a Google document. So here's one, B behavior, communication. Honeybees make use of five senses throughout their daily lives. However, honeybees have additional communication aids at their disposal. Two of the methods by which honeybees communicate are of particular interest. One is chemical, the other is choreographic. Honeybee pheromones. Pheromones are chemical scents that animals produce to trigger behavioral responses from other members of the same species. Honeybee pheromones provide the glue that holds the colony together. The three casts of bees produce various pheromones at various times to stimulate specific behaviors. Here are just a few basic facts about the way pheromones help bees communicate. Certain bee pheromones, known as queen substance, let the entire colony know that the queen is in residence and stimulates many worker bee activities. Outside the hive, the queen pheromone acts as a sex attractant to potential suitors, male drone bees. They also regulate the drone male bee population in the hive. Queen pheromones stimulate many worker bee activities such as comb building, brood rearing, foraging, and food storage. The worker bees at the hive's entrance produce pheromones that help guide foraging bees back to their hive. The Nazanov gland at the tip of the worker bee's abdomen is responsible for this alluring scent. Worker bees produce alarm pheromones that can trigger sudden and decisive action from the colony. The colony's brood, developing larvae and pupae, secrete special pheromones that help worker bees recognize the brood's gender, stage of development, and feeding needs. How Honeybees Dance Perhaps the most famous and fascinating language of the honeybee is communicated through a series of dances done by foraging worker bees who return to the hive with news of nectar, pollen, and water. The worker bees dance on the comb using precise patterns. Depending on the style of the dance, a variety of information is shared with the honeybee's sisters. They're able to obtain remarkably accurate information about the location and type of food the foraging bees have discovered. 
two common types of dances are the so-called round dance and the waggle dance. The round dance communicates that the food source is near the hive within 10 to 80 yards. For a food source at greater distance from the hive, the worker bees perform a waggle dance. It involves a shivering side-to-side motion of the abdomen while the dancing bee performs a figure eight. The vigor of the waggle, the number of times it's repeated, The direction of the dance and the sound of the bee make communications amazingly precise about the location of the food source. The bee dance, what it is, what information bees get from it. There are actually many bee dances beyond the round, sickle, and waggle dances. Distance. When a food source is very close to the hive, say less than 50 meters, a forager performs a round dance. She does so by running in narrow circles, suddenly reversing direction to her original course. She may repeat the dance several times at the same location or move to another location to repeat the dance. After the round dance is ended, she often distributes food to the bees following her. A round dance, therefore, communicates distance quote, close to the hive, quote, but no direction. Food sources that are at an intermediate distance between 50 and 150 meters away from the hive are recruited to with the sickle dance. The form of this dance is crescent-shaped, a transitional dance between the round dance and the figure eight waggle dance. A waggle dance, or wagtail dance, is performed by bees foraging at food sources that are over 150 meters away from the hive. This dance, unlike the round and sickle dance, communicate both distance and direction to potential recruits. A bee that performs a waggle dance runs straight ahead for a short distance, returns in a semicircle to the starting point, runs again through the straight course, then makes a semicircle in the opposite direction to complete a full figure eight circuit. While running the straight line course of the dance, the bee's body, especially the abdomen, wags vigorously sideways. The vibration of the body gives a tail wagging motion. At the same time, the bee emits a train of buzzing sounds produced by wing beats at a low frequency of 250 to 300 hertz cycles per second, with a pulse duration of about 20 milliseconds and a repetition of frequency of about 30 seconds. While several variables of the waggle dance are correlated with distance information, for example, dance tempo, tempo and the duration of buzzing sounds, the duration of the straight run portion of the dance, measured in seconds, is the simplest and most reliable indicator of distance. As the distance to the food source increases, the duration of the waggling portion of the dance, the waggle run, also increases. The relationship is roughly linear. For example, a forager that performs a waggle run of at least 2.5 seconds is recruiting for a food source located approximately 2,625 meters away. Direction. While the representation of distance in the waggle dance is relatively straightforward, the method of communicating direction is more complicated and abstract. The orientation of the dancing bee during the straight portion of her waggle dance indicates that the location of the food source relative to the sun. The angle that the bee adopts relative to vertical represents the angle of the flowers relative to the direction of the sun outside the hive. In other words, the dancing bee transposes the solar angle into the gravitational angle. The figure below gives three examples. A forager recruiting to a food source in the same direction as the sun will perform a dance with the waggle run portion directly up on the comb. Conversely, if the food source were direct were located directly away from the sun, the straight run would be directed vertically down. If the food source were 60 degrees to the left of the sun, the waggle run would be 60 degrees to the left of vertical. Isn't that fascinating? Because the direction information is relative to the sun's position, not the compass direction, 
A forager's dance for a particular resource will change over time. This is because the sun's position moves over the course of a day. For example, a food source may be located due east will have foragers dance approximately straight up in the morning because the sun rises in the east, but will have foragers dance approximately, approximately straight down in the late afternoon because the sun sets in the west. Thus, the time of day, or more importantly, the location of the sun, is an important variable to interpret the direction information in the dance. The sun's position is also a function of one's geographic location and the time of year. The sun will always move from east to west over the course of the day. However, above the Tropic of Cancer, the sun is always in the south, whereas below the Tropic of Capricorn, the sun will always be in the north. Within the tropics, the sun can pass to the south or the north depending on the time of year. In summary, in order to translate the direction information contained in the honeybee dance, one must know the angle of the waggle run with respect to gravity and the compass direction of the sun, which depends on location, date, and time of day. And there are some diagrams, um, diagrams and charts, if, if that's how, how you learn. Let's see. Um, they say at this level, you would not need to know about those three, let's see, you would need to know about those three. They're talking about the figures, the figures that are shown here, that you need to know about them, but you're not required to draw or interpret the diagrams because that is a requirement of the master beekeeper test. Oh, that's reassuring. That's the next one I'll be taking. Okay, mating behavior. How do bees mate? Male bees, drones, mate with the queen one at a time to release their sperm. The drone will fly over a queen with the intention of positioning himself such that his thorax is above her abdomen. A drone's appendage is referred to as an endophallus, which is tucked within his body and inverted simultaneously. He will protrude his endophallus and insert it into the queen's sting chamber. When this happens successfully, his endophallus will flip and secrete sperm in the process. The process will take less than five seconds, and when he disengages with the queen, his endophallus will be ripped off. Ouch. This means that the act of mating usually kills the drone. Honeybees mate during a mating flight when the queen is 6 to 16 days old. She will take to the sky and meet thousands of male suitors mating with more than 10 or 20 drones. Reproductive role of the queen. Queen honeybees are fascinating creatures that determine the success or failure of the colony. Her oviducts hold most of the sperm she collects, equating to about 100 million sperm. This is a sperm she will use immediately to immediately fertilize eggs. The remaining 5 or 6 million sperm will be stored in her spermathecal. This sperm will remain in good condition for up to four years. The queen will only fertilize some of the eggs she lays. When an egg moves through the vagina of the queen bee, it may become fertilized because it will press against the spermathecal duct. Determining the sexes. The queen honeybee effectively determines the eventual gender of each of her eggs. As the eggs move from her ovaries to oviduct, she determines whether or not it is to be fertilized or not. If an egg is fertilized, it will become a worker or queen bee. If it's not fertilized, it will become a drone. Worker bees are female and can lay eggs as well, but because they do not take a mating flight, their eggs are unfertilized and will only produce drones. The queen is the only bee who can lay both male and female bees. If a queen lays brood inside a beekeeper's hive, she usually picks a frame near the center of the box to begin laying. Worker bees will ap apply a small amount of royal jelly 
to stabilize the larva on the frame. When the sperm is all gone, the queen bee only has so much sperm to last her lifetime. When all that stored sperm has gone, which can take up to four years, the colony will begin raising new queens. These new queens will then leave the hive in which they were raised and start new qual- new colonies. And just a reality note, they talk, it's like a, yes, a, a queen can lay up to four years, but in this modern world, they don't lay nearly that much, but that's their capacity up to four years and even older, I've read, but think of four years. Okay. Colonies requeen their hives when they notice their old queen is slowing her egg-laying production. As the name implies, requeening is replacing an old queen with a new one. Worker bees pay very close attention to the queen. If she has a defect causing her production to drop, or if her pheromone begins to lessen, which happens with age, they will consider raising a new queen. When this happens, the worker bees will smother the queen to death by bawling around her as she overheats and eventually dies. So it's a tough world inside there. Queens have a job in the colony depends upon her doing that job. When she reaches the point where she can't do that job effectively anymore, the colony knows what to do to continue their survival. Reproductive role of drones. Drones are created from unfertilized eggs or haploid. Haploid eggs are unfertilized. These eggs can be laid by the queen herself or in some situations by worker bees, though that's not a healthy sign. Drones fate after mating. The drone has quite a life. He's created with no other purpose than to mate. Drones do help regulate the temperature inside the hive from time to time, but mating is their true lot in life. They don't have stingers, and they don't help contribute food to the hive. Drones live each day in the hope of finding a queen on her mating flight. Yet, when the drone tries to mate, he isn't always successful. If the queen's sting chamber is closed, the drone will still ejaculate, although he had su- as though he had successfully penetrated inside the chamber. Unbeknownst to him, that was his lucky day because it keeps his endophallus from being ripped off. If he eventually can mount the queen when her sting chamber is open, he will be able to deposit his sperm for her to store. But when he does, a tiny explosion takes place. When the drone deposits his sperm into the queen's sting chamber, it must be powerful enough to flow past her sting chamber and into her oviduct so the sperm can be stored to subsequently fertilize eggs. The drone's sperm literally blasts through the queen's reproductive system with so such force that it will rip off the drone's endophallus and throw him off the queen. For bees, the explosion is so powerful that it is audible to the human ear as a popping sound. When the drone's endophallus is ripped off, it rips his abdomen open as well, which leads to his death. Gosh, this is just graphic text, isn't it? <laughs> the drone congregating areas, DCAs. Gr- uh, drone congregating areas, DCAs. Drones do not usually mate with a queen from their own hive. They fly to areas known as drone congregation areas, DCAs, to seek out other queens. Scientists are still struggling to locate hard evidence why drones pick particularly particular areas to congregate. It's possible that drones choose these areas based on magnetic force. When drones are older than six days, they have a sudden increase in magnetite within their abdomen. This could literally pull them to certain locations. Drones return to these congregational spots year after year. Often they will visit multiple congregational spots in a day, each of which can hold a few hundred to a few thousand drones at a time. It is obvious when a place has been chosen as a drone congregation area because they create a buzzing sound, almost like a swarm. These congregation areas can range anywhere from 100 to 700 feet in width and are usually 50 to 125 feet off the ground. Drones are so focused on these areas that if a queen flies by outside of these boundaries, they will completely ignore her. The drones give off a certain pheromone to draw queens to them. 
the fate of drones that don't mate. Drones only have a one in a thousand chance of mating with a queen, so many drones will not mate and die from the process. Some drones actually survive the mating process, so what happens to the drones that don't die from mating or the ones that never get the chance? They still have a pretty grim future. Drones that are not able to pass on their genetics, or in a freak turn of events, survive the mating process, are allowed to remain at their hive during the warm seasons. However, when winter approaches and bees must live only on what they have stored, drones become just one more mouth to feed. At that point, worker bees will round them up and kick them out of the hive. So drones have no real purpose beyond mating, essentially essential though it that is. I've read stuff to the contrary. But anyway, drones do mate with a queen, but they offer something so much more important than simply sperm. They offer genetic diversity. Female bees have 32 chromosomes. This means they get 16 chromosomes from their mother and 16 from their father. Drones only have 16 chromosomes. Therefore, eggs only have the option of holding half of the queen's genetics. This is because this is significant because genetics determine how efficiently and effectively a hive runs, as well as being a factor in resistance to disease. When the queen mates with drones on her mating flight, she benefits from the genetic diversity they offer. Each egg that hatches will be slightly different based on its genetics. Because of this, the colony has a greater potential for success. The queen's egg production, the laying process. The long-term health of the colony depends greatly upon the queen and her ability to lay eggs. When the queen is young and just starting out, she will lay eggs in an organized fashion. She lays them right next to each other in their respective cells. As she gets older, she'll lay fewer eggs and have a different laying pattern. In her prime, the queen bee will lay about 2,000 eggs a day. This is more than her own body weight in eggs. The eggs are only about half the size of a grain of rice and take her a matter of seconds for her to lay. When the eggs are laid, they stand. There is a strand of mucus used to connect the egg to the cell. Within a matter of days, the digestive and nervous systems are formed. In about three days, the eggs become larvae. Then the nurse bees will feed them and help them grow into the gender and role for which they were laid. Three days after the queen lays an egg, it will have developed into bee larvae with all major systems starting to be formed. The queen fertilizes and lays egg based on cell size. The larger cells are generally for drones, while the smaller cells are for workers. The fertilized egg are the female bees, workers, and queens, and the non-fertilized egg are the male bees, the drones. After the eggs have turned into bee larvae, they are fed royal jelly. For fertilized eggs, the number of days they are fed royal jelly will decide their role as either worker or queen. Bees secrete royal jelly to feed their larvae and queen. queen are fed, queens are fed royal jelly all the way through their hatching process, which is 16 days. And hatching is not the right word. I'm surprised that's in here. Worker bees and drones are only fed royal jelly for the first two or three days, with worker bees taking 21 days to exit the cell and drones 24 days. How long does a honeybee live? Honeybees live for a different length of time depending on their role in the hive and the time of year they were born. Let's take a closer look on how these variables can impact the hive. Drones do not live very long because their main purpose is to breed and spread genetics. They often die early in life, giving, given that the breeding process kills them. If they are alive as the colder months approaches, they face eviction from the hive and death. Worker bees. The lifespan of worker bees varies. If they are born and put to work during the busy season, they might live to around six weeks or less. If they are born during non-peak season, they might survive to seven weeks. Winter bees are different. They have a higher blood protein and fatter body meant to produce heat for the queen. Winter bees can live anywhere from four to six months through the winter. A worker bee will collect honey from foraging bees and act as a nurse bee, tending to the bee larva. As she gets older, she's promoted 
related to foraging bee. This wears her down quickly as a very physical work for such a small creature. The queen spends her life inside the hive laying eggs. Her biggest danger is during her mating flight and disease. If these threats are avoided, she can live for four years or more. So I'm going to wrap that up here, but again, if you would like a copy of these study guides, just email me, blueridge714 at gmail.com. This is, these are some notes from someone who took the test about things that they realized that they didn't know enough of about after they took the test. So they said uh, these were some details that they realized or, or things they missed. Bees carry water in their honey stomachs, not their mouths. Be sure to know about all of the Varroa mite life cycle. That's true. I remember that too. All you need to know the full Varroa mite life cycle. Bees carry propolis in their pollen baskets, not their mouths. To remove foam bubbles from extracted honey, heat it to 105 slowly and then cool. Be sure to know each kind of bee's egg, larva, pupa stage in days. So definitely just memorize that chart of how how long a drone is a larva and a pupa. And of course, they're all an egg for three days. But then a drone, a worker, and a queen, after they're an egg, every uh, the day length is different. Bees get water in winter from condensation and maybe honey. Africanized bees have smaller sized comb than European bees. Four ways to remove bees from the comb after harvesting. Bee escape, fume board, blower, brush. Let's see. Um, EFB, nosema, and chalk brood are symptoms of stress. I said false, but that was wrong. <laughs> I don't know who this was in our group that made these notes. EFB, nosema, and chalk brood are, can all be symptoms of stress. And the best time to treat for Varroa is, of course, broodless periods. I will do another test review session, hopefully during this week. I'll do the disease section, um, diseases and pests, because those are, those are a big one. But I'll wrap this up here. Like I said, this is a strange podcast, not usual if this is the first time you're listening. But I'm wishing luck to all those who are sitting for the journeyman. I hope that your studying has been strong and that your last minute studying these last two weeks is also goes well. I'll talk to you soon.